LL Nation, what's good? Let me take a sip. Really good show coming up tonight. In about 20 minutes, Rex Fluger is going to be joining us right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. As always, we're brought to you by Honora Whiskey. Honorawhiskey.com is that premium American whiskey. Honorawhiskey.com. Malik's going to be joining us in a second. Just had to get started to make sure that we could get on live on all of our outlets that we're uh, branching out to. Thank you, LL Nation, for once again getting us right on the precipice of 2K, right on the precipice of 2K. We appreciate you. So let's go over a little bit of uh, recruiting news that I can break to you. Actually, you guys can actually go over to the IB message board and get this. We put together a collaborative Intel report today. I mean, we're killing it. You know, I see other publications, you know, putting out today that, you know, Carnell Tate's coming in on the 17th when we had that this weekend and put it out on Monday. Oh, man, Irish Breakdown, we're doing our thing. We are absolutely doing our thing. We're killing the game. Make sure you go join the message board over at Irish Breakdown. Myself, Brian Driscoll, and Ryan Roberts will be there for the first practice. We'll be there for the pro day. And then we'll be there for the full access practice the day after the pro day. Give you some video. Definitely talk to the coaches and give you more intel. But the intel we put up on the board today, of course, uh, talked about Dante Moore. He really was the main subject. And, you know, I see comments, you know, during our shows and a lot of talk about what Dante Moore is doing. Look, relax, relax. Dante Moore, Malik has been telling you all since December, early January, that Dante Moore is pretty much Notre Dame, Michigan State. Those were his two biggest relationships as far as staff and coaches. The Harbaugh thing, Josh Gattis, Gattis moving to Miami, pulled Michigan back a little bit. They were running third anyway. Uh, Michigan's still trying to hop in, connect with Dante Moore. Miami, Mario Cristobal tried to jump in late. He just received an offer from Tennessee. Of course, he received an offer from Alabama and Georgia and all of those other schools. Look, Dante Moore is quickly summing all of this up. He just took a visit down to LSU. He's not going to LSU. Malik told you that last night. Ultimately, this decision, more than likely, he's probably going to make an announcement probably somewhere around early May, late April, I would probably say. It might be before that. But I think he knows, and this is something that Malik has definitely told me, that he and his family are very well aware of the pool he has in the 2023 class and how important it is for him to become a recruiter from or for the program that he ultimately joins. So Dante Moore, he's going to finish taking his visits. 
man, I talked to his coach a little bit today. Fantastic kid. From everything I'm hearing, he might be a better kid than he is a football player. And that's saying a lot because he's a hell of a quarterback. But everything that I hear from coaches on down to, of course, his parents are going to speak highly of him. But teammates as well. Dude, it's a fantastic, fantastic kid. Carnell Tate, told you guys, he'll be in town on St. Patty's Day. It's probably just for one day. He told me this past weekend he's going to cut his list down to his top three March 21st or 22nd and post that. And with that being said, you know, we have to be honest. Chancey Stucky is putting in work. And as always, you have to believe that is a two-horse race right now. It is Ohio State-Notre Dame. And Ohio State has always, from since December, Ohio State has pretty much been the favorite. They've pretty much been the favorite. And it's Chancey Stuckey, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese that have put on the full-court press after the bowl game to even make this thing close. So I like what Notre Dame stands with Carnell Tate. I'm going to say this again. Listen to the interview he did with us. It's in the archives. I talk to him pretty much every weekend. I love where Notre Dame stands with Carnell Tate. Stucky's also putting in work with wide receivers, especially down in the state of Texas, where he was the last year for Baylor. So he made connections down there while he was Baylor's wide receiver coach. Braylon James is a kid. Jaden Greathouse is another kid, and Rodney Gallagher. Now, Rodney Gallagher literally just won a state championship in basketball. And if you remember, I wrote an article about Chancey Stuckey and how he looks at his wide receiver room very much like a basketball team. So Rodney Gallagher is right at the top of the list. He, In my opinion, as far as wants, he's right there with Cardinal Tate for this coaching staff at this point. And – Notre Dame is sitting in the bird's eye seat with this kid right there. Wouldn't be shocked if he committed over the next month or so. Jaden Greathouse, he's going to get in. And Braylon James is another person that's getting ready to wrap up all of his visits and eventually make a commitment. Then you have Rico Flores and uh, Cal Casper. Notre Dame is still in on them, still trying to make um, – and then Dent and get them on campus and get into their top three. Notre Dame also is about to make another run at Arizona tight end Deuce Robinson. Uh, they just, about two weeks ago, they offered his uh, offensive tackle and teammate, Elijah Page. Elijah Page just got bumped up to a four-star on 247. And so Deuce Robinson, who might be the best tight end in the entire class of 2023 uh, class, Yo, they made a run at him early. They're coming back around the corner. We'll see what happens with that. And then a kid that I've talked to recently since he won the heavyweight championship in Class 1A Illinois Wrestling, Charles Jagasaw out of Rock Island, Illinois, has fallen in love with Harry Heastan. He's fallen in love with Harry Heastan. And, yo, it's good things. I mean, this kid pretty much, uh, Coach Judane is his coach at Rock Island, and we knew he was a class kid. 
He was a five-star top recruit, knew it. They had a lot of friction with the football team. His old coach left, retired after 36 years. Coach Judani comes in. They lose 11 players, 11 veterans off the team. They go spread out. Some kids actually go across the border, play in a program in Iowa. Some other kids think about going to Missouri, the state of Missouri to play. Other kids go to other Catholic institutions nearby to play football. And, you know, I don't blame them for searching out the best situation for them. CJ sticks by the program. He says, this is where my friends are. This is where I want to play. And that just showed the character of the man. And Trevor Mendelson, assistant for Notre Dame, got right in the door as soon as the open period started back in January. Notre Dame was the first school to see him. Fell in love. They were impressive. Fell in love with the kid. And Harry Heastan, once he got in the picture, he pretty much sealed the deal. Charles Jagasaw is absolutely Man, he's in love with Harry Heastan. <laughs> he loves Harry Heastan. So look for him possibly, yeah, to go ahead and commit over the next month or two as well. Let's see here. Monroe Freeland, Austin Cervell, uh, also guys. Notre Dame's in very good with Jason Moore and Samuel and Pimble. Samuel and Pimble could actually be a tight end at Notre Dame. He played that his sophomore year, moved to the defensive side of the ball for his senior year. So that's something else you can look for. Devin Houston is pretty much a Michigan-Notre Dame battle. Uh, Maryland's in the mix if he chooses to stay home. I really don't think they have a chance. So this is uh, it's going to be an interesting battle between Mike Elston and Al Washington to see who gets the services of Devin Houston, who's younger, uh, whose older brother, Caleb Houston is a freshman basketball player for Michigan's basketball team. He came on late second half of the season. He's a pretty darn good player. He's going to be an NBA player if he comes back and plays the second year. Also, Colton Vasek and Desmond Umazulu. Defensive guys, rush ends, outside linebackers. Notre Dame is getting back on them. And we gave an update on Keon Keeley. Keon Keeley is not the dude that's wavering. He is taking his visits, and I've said this, relax. Keon Keeley, Brennan Vernon, solid. There has been some buzz about Peyton Bowen and whether or not he really wants to be at Notre Dame versus playing in the South or at an SEC school or a school in Texas. We'll see. Notre Dame still has to continue to recruit him. Notre Dame has fallen behind a little bit on Christian Gray. Ultimately, if I had to put my money on it today, I think Christian Gray might end up either at LSU or Ohio State. And Michael Tease is going to be hard to get him away from the Sooners. I mean, he's right out there. So defensive back seems to be an issue. But coming off of two straight years where we got a lot of bulk at the defensive back position and we have a lot of sophomores that are ready to step in and make an impact, that might not hurt us as much. And we can go to the 24 class where there are a lot of defensive backs loving Notre Dame early. And a lot of those kids will be at Notre Dame for official visits the months of March and April. Notre Dame is loading up the 2024 class for the springtime, loading it up. You'll see a lot of 24 kids 
taking visits and we'll be giving you updates on that. So that's pretty much it. Notre Dame is raking it in. They're doing their thing. And like we said, waiting for Malik to join in a few seconds. We got Rex Luger coming up in like 10 minutes. It's going to be a nice interview. Nice interview. Looking forward to a shout out to Notre Dame basketball. Good luck to them uh, up in Brooklyn at the Big East tournament this weekend. Shout out to Notre Dame baseball, ranked number three in the nation. I think I saw this stat for them, which is amazing. In 89.1 innings, they've only given up 13 earned runs. So the pitching staff, they look, Notre Dame's pitching staff is so much more, especially in the starters. They're devastating. You know, they have a couple of freshmen that are really good. They still have the home run bats. So overall, this might be a better team than the team that really had the national champs on the ropes. They had Mississippi State on the ropes in that best of three in game two, and they just just couldn't close the deal. So hopefully they can make it happen. As yeah, we just answered this question. Like, um, I don't know what else to say other than relax, man. Stop reading other boards. Honestly, the intel we're giving you between myself, Malik, Ryan, and IB, it's like, stop reading Florida boards. Stop. Notre Dame is <laughs> I've been saying it for months. The kid is actively recruiting. He's recruiting just as hard as Drake Bowen is for the 2023 class. So if he's doing all of that and he eventually decides to decommit, that says a lot about him as an individual. So I just believe in him. I believe in his character and Yeah, nothing new on Lacuna. Um, right now, the top three will be Monroe Freeland, Cervell, uh, and Jagasaw as far as offensive linemen. Those are the three guys right now. So, Truman Dumel, appreciate you, my dude. Thank you for the super sticker. Thank you for tapping in. Give me a second, man. I'm actually texting back and forth with the recruit. So, yeah, um, let's say March 17th, Carnell Tate. Uh, we got a couple of other guys in the 24 class putting together a couple of pieces on them. Uh, one local kid. And this this update will be giving you more than likely a new board because what has happened is Notre Dame has gotten more aggressive. And there are several players, big time recruits that Notre Dame initially offered and faded on with the previous regime 
that the that the staff now is trying to make a connection with or reconnect with. So now you're going to see a lot of guys that you've heard about or heard Notre Dame connected to as they start to make their decisions in April and they might choose schools other than Notre Dame, then you're going to start to see Notre Dame, they're behind the scenes already making reconnections with guys that they would have loved to recruit, but the previous regime, for whatever reason, just gave up early, just flat out gave up early. And um, that's it. So Malik says he's almost there. L.A. traffic, man. Him and Rex, both in L.A. traffic. John Monty, thank you for tapping in. You guys are great. Good job. Appreciate you. Will Chesnick, thank you for tapping in. Shout out to you. Lilo Glante, is the blue and gold game going to be jumping or what, Sean? Hey, I'm leasing out that day to Notre Dame. If I didn't have love in my heart for Notre Dame, I wouldn't be leasing out the blue and gold game on that day. It's a very special day. Very special day. You're darn right. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be tough, Lilo, to get Osbury. I think Osbury is going out to Oregon this weekend. It's going to be very tough to get him to South Bend. Very tough. It's going to be tough to get him out of the South, specifically Louisiana. If they pull him from Louisiana, man, we got to throw a cookout for the staff. LL Nation. We literally go to the parking lot, the stadium, and just do a cookout for the staff and just have them come out, eat, take plates, take pictures and everything. Eugene, what's good? Yeah, but this is the silver lining. And I think I said this recently on another show. Jared Patterson doesn't need the spring. He doesn't need the spring. We need him healthy. And this gives reps to a lot of youngsters that need the reps. And if they have to come in during the regular season because of injury, they'll be ready to rock and roll. So that's the silver lining of Jared Patterson being out. Just Deuce Robinson. We're good at tight end. That tight end room is is packed right now. So they're good at tight end. They're coming back around the corner on Deuce Robinson. Haven't heard any other names. As I said before, Samuel and Pemba is a kid that can also play tight end if they want him to because he did that at IMG before switching to the defensive side of the ball. MWJR, what needs to be done to get back to ND control in the Chicago area? Just building relationships. I mean, they dropped the ball. The previous regime didn't care about Chicago. They just didn't care. They didn't put in the effort to get the best players out of Chicago, and therefore you start to see the best players out of Chicago end up in the SEC. Best players out of Chicago, once Notre Dame took a step back, the SEC recognized that, and they came in and started snatching up the best players. And then you saw the resurgence of Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. They came and got the A.J. Hennings, the J.J. McCarthy's, who's from the Chicagoland area, but 
was at IMG. They signed those two guys. So, yeah, it's just going to take the rebuilding the relationships and reestablishing the brand. And no one is better than doing that than a Chicago kid. And that's what Tommy Reese has been doing. He's been doing it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I said this before, 288 Letterman from Chicago in the history of Notre Dame. I think it's 288. It's a lot. It's a lot. So the Chicago area has been really, really good. Really good to Notre Dame. I have to try this pizza joint, Barnaby's and South Bend. It's pretty good, huh? All right. Man, I didn't know, Will, I didn't know John Carlson played on the basketball team. I didn't know that. Consider me educated. Consider me educated. So like I said, we're waiting for Malik. That L.A. traffic is crazy, and he's been trying to get home from a meeting. But while we do that, I'm not going to waste any time we're going to get right to our special guest. We appreciate him so much for joining us. Malik will jump in soon. He is the 50th ranked player in the 2015 class. Four star. Now, this was with the uh, the report. Crazy hops and will try to dunk on you at any time. And an occasional jump shooter. That was the scouting report. So we want to welcome you into the Lucky Lefty podcast brought to you by Nora Whiskey and featuring or Nora Whiskey. Go to anorawhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey, anorawhiskey.com. Welcome to the Lucky Lefty podcast. A special guest tonight, former Notre Dame shooting guard, Rex Fluger. Welcome in to the Lucky Lefty podcast. How you doing, Rex? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate the nice warm introduction, man. You've been doing a great job. I've been watching since the beginning. I just want to give you your props. Yeah, I appreciate that. We like to have fun and spend it different, and we're going to do that tonight. So Malik has a story with you. I can't wait for him to share that because we were talking oh, no. online. But let me tell you our connection. You might not know this. So I spent time working at ESPN for six years. And my first job when I got there was to produce the Notre Dame basketball games. So my direct, my indirect boss at Notre Dame was the greatest engineer I've ever known. His name is Bob Henning. Shout out to Bob Henning. And of course, I worked with Jack Nolan, of course, who was always on the play-by-play. And then you had a multitude of guys that would do the color with him during the season. And it was funny because during the breaks would be the best conversations. And mm-hmm. I swear, like every time we went to commercial break and Jack would be talking either to Bob or the color guy, they were always talking like, oh my God, I hope Rex is okay. 
Uh-oh, Rex is limping again. Oh, Rex is grabbing this. Rex is grabbing that. <laughs> it was like, oh, my. Rex, man, look, you were, and let me pay you this ultimate compliment. The term warrior, when it comes to an athlete and laying it all on the line, student athlete and giving everything to the program, my friend, you were the truest definition of that that I've ever witnessed, especially working and producing those Notre Dame basketball games, man. I truly enjoyed hearing your work being painted on the canvas of Notre Dame basketball by Jack Nolan, man. I, I really appreciate everything you gave to the program. Man, you're about to make me tear up right now. I appreciate oh. that. Because sometimes when you do that stuff, you think it goes unnoticed. But then when you hear from behind the scenes, when people actually appreciate what you're going through, what you're pushing through, it means the world to you because people forget that athletes are humans too when we're out there, when we're trying to give it our all every single day. Sometimes people just see a jersey and then maybe they see something that they're betting on or they just see something that they hope would happen. But they don't really think about what happens in the day-to-day, -day, what sacrifices that these people make every single day to play. Because when you bring that up, my mind instantly just went back to that too, which I haven't thought about in a while. Whereas, you know, I was, I was, my dad raised me to be a way where if I can play, I can play. It yeah. doesn't matter how injured, like, because there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. So if I was injured and I literally just couldn't get up and down the court, then yeah, I would sit on that play. But if I had any ability to at least play at 75, 80%, and I know I could produce for my team and do what I can to help our team win, I was going to be out there. So during that time when I was out there, sometimes people would be like, why is Rex playing so bad? Why is he looking slow and all that? And I would hear all that critique, but that didn't matter to me. What really mattered was that I was out there doing what I could to help my team win because I knew I needed to be out there in certain scenarios, especially against certain teams where it's like, money will be fine. But this game means the most to me right now because I'm trying to live in the present. And even though, you know, ultimately in the end of my career, my knee never really fully recovered to what it was, I don't regret putting my putting well myself out there every single day to be able to help and compete with my brothers every single day. So no regrets. Can I tell you my favorite game of yours from producing hmm. Notre Dame basketball? And most people would think, I'm going to show the video of what oh, most no. people would think it is, but this is mine. Yo. The performance you put on when you went back home and played UCLA at Pauly as a Cali kid. Because I know growing up in the shadows of Pauly Pavilion out in California, every kid has to be in love with John Wooden, UCLA, the, the legacy, the stories. And you went out there. You were hurt that night. It was a question whether or not you weren't even going to play pregame. And the mm -hmm. way you went out and the effort you put up, and you guys came up just a little bit short, but you had a fantastic – that's my favorite Rex Fluger game of all time. I appreciate that. That game sticks out to me for so many different reasons. Obviously, I'll try to keep this as concise as I can, but I remember when I was getting recruited by Martin Inglesby, who's now the head coach over at Delaware, Delaware. for the Blue yeah. Hands. Congratulations, congratulations to him. They just made the NCAA tournament. Love that guy, and he's doing great things with that program. But they promised me they would give me a West Coast game if I came out to Notre Dame. And, you know, you're going freshman year, sophomore year. You're like, am I actually going to get this, or is this, you know, Fugazi, Fugazi? Like, right. And then all of a sudden, when it came into my senior year, like, yeah, we're going to play at UCLA. So right there. And then I was like, this is going to be amazing. I think I had, like, 
180 to 100 people there for that game and everything. Super special. Obviously, came up short. I was I, like, I appreciate you giving me the compliment. I'm happy that I played well. I shot well, but you know, at the end of the day, we didn't get that win, so it hurts the most. But that was actually the day too. After I'm a very open book, by the way. Okay. That my mom, my mom, uh, had her seizure where we figured out that she had brain cancer too. It was the night after that, and so that game it it t- taught me a lot of lessons because after the game, I remember I was crying in the shower because I was upset that we didn't win. Just the competitor spit or the competitive spirit in myself. But once I heard that thing about my mom, I was just like, nothing else matters. Right, and it puts everything in perspective. Even though this is a dream game for me, going to Notre Dame, being from Orange County, close to UCLA, being close to that program, understanding everything about it. But then at the end of the day, even though I was so upset about the outcome of the game, none of that really mattered. The number one thing that mattered in life is the people that you're closest to and, you know, obviously with your mom. So I just want to spread some of my two cents with that one. Yo. The reason I said it was my favorite game, because you had a lot. Look, you impacted every game you played somehow, some way. If you weren't shooting the ball well, you had a steal. You were defending the, the best score on the team. You did whatever you had to do to impact your team and get a W on that particular night. But it was something special. And I think, as I said before, Jack Nolan did a fantastic job that night because he built up. I, man, I wish you could ask Notre Dame for, like, the audio of it so you could hear it. The pregame was so dope because it was almost like the fact you walked onto the court was a, he made it sound like a Willis Reed moment. Like Rex's Rex's leg is like dangling. He can barely walk, but he's going to give it everything he has because that's what Rex Fluger has meant to this Notre Dame program. It was just he painted this canvas. You're in this historic historic venue. You're a California kid, and then you go out and do what you do. And it was like a perfect script. But like you said, it would have been perfect if you had gotten a W. In my opinion, a couple of bad calls down the stretch. My a opinion, couple? A couple. I'll leave it at that. A couple. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you guys, thir- in my opinion, you thoroughly outplayed them. You deserved to win that game. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you didn't. But once again, for me, that was my favorite Rex Fluger game. Now, to most Notre Dame fans, this is what they might remember the most. Battles on the move. He lost it. Gavin feeds it ahead. Gibbs up the floor. No. Fluger puts it in. 2.6 to play. The orange down the floor. And a heave is short. A turnover is the difference as Notre Dame wins on the road in Syracuse. No coincidence that the game comes down to a stop and an offensive rebound and put back for a game winner. The turnover, T.J. Gibbs gets out on the break, and as Bissette goes to the block, it's Rex Fluger with the offensive rebound and put back to seal the deal for the five. Rex, that had to be the loneliest feeling in the world, bro. Because I want to ask you what made you just take off like you did while everybody was kind of watching T.J. and the other Syracuse player. But, like, when you get that offensive rebound, it had to be, like, in slow motion. It had to be. It, it actually was in slow motion. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. 
because I remember exactly when I was in the air when I caught the ball and it almost felt kind of dreamlike in a way where it was so comfortable. And when you ask, why did I run after that? It's like, that's always just been kind of me, you know, kind of yeah. intrinsic inside of myself is that I'm always going to try to be this when I'm playing in a game. It's just that other people maybe aren't thinking that same way or maybe they think it's over or I don't know. I don't know what was going through all those people's heads because I've watched that play a few times and I'm just like, why the hell aren't you running back right now? Yeah. <laughs> I even asked that about some of my teammates. I'm like, this is the end of the game. Like, we need this bucket. Like, what are you guys doing? Right, right. <laughs> and so, and so, but when I was in slow motion, I just remember I was like, I had it and I was going up to shoot it. And sometimes when you're shooting floaters, it could feel a little iffy being off balance. But for some reason, I like, you saw how I just fell on the ground. And because all my focus is on make sure this ball goes in that basket. Right. Make sure I don't miss this. And so, like, when I close. shot it, oh, and especially having that opportunity. And that game was crazy, too, because that was, I believe, my junior year. Yeah. And we and we won the Maui Invitational, and we were all hyped up. You know, we, we, we got to number five in the country. And then we had that one tough game against Michigan State. And then that's when the snowball hit and started, and then all the injuries started coming in with Bonte Colson getting injured, Matt Farrell getting injured, two of our starters. And then and so we went into that game not playing with them. So they were back at Notre Dame getting their rehab. And so we were playing without them. So we, we had a chip on our shoulder because everyone ridden, ridden us off already. They were just like, nah, they're not going to win. They don't have, they're two leading scorers. They're senior captains. They're not going to win. But then in our minds, we're like, no, we can do this. This is what we do. We play against these guys every single day. So why shouldn't it be our turn to go up and try to hold them up? Well, while they're always holding us up, this is our turn. And I remember TJ Gibbs had an amazing game that game as well. Everyone contributed as well. I remember my boy, uh, my classmate, Elijah Burns, came in, gave us some great minutes. And it was just such a complete team game that that, that was one of my favorite games. And I remember FaceTiming. We all, we all FaceTiming the boys back back in South Bend, the seniors, you know, going crazy in the, in the yeah. locker room. But even though I got the tip at the end of the game or the putt back, you know, that was such a collective effort to win that game. That definitely stands out as one of my favorite games, especially in league play. So let's go back to 2015. Your top five, Cal, Notre Dame, San Diego State, Texas A&M, and Washington State. How in the world did you end up in South Bend? You know what? I don't think I've ever told this story kind of uh, like publicly, but I'll tell it now because, you know, I'm removed from basketball. But originally, I like throughout my entire kind of from eighth grade on to like my junior year, I always thought I was going to go to Stanford. Uh, I had close communications with uh, the head coach at the time, Johnny Dawkins, and everybody there. And mm -hmm. it seemed like it was a perfect fit. It was just right. kind of one of their processes where they were waiting until the very end to offer because they wanted to make sure we were able to get into the school after we took our SATs, or ACTs, whatever you took. And so I kind of just pushed away a lot of my other offers, didn't really look at them. I was like, in my mind, I'm going to Stanford. But then all of a sudden, uh, I just remember one day I was on the road. I might have been at Peach Jam or something, I think, out in Georgia for the EYBL and or South Carolina. I don't even remember where it is. But I remember seeing a shooting guard committed to Stanford. I was like, wait, what? What do you mean a shooting guard just committed there? And then, like, I'm not going to go too deep into it because there are some behind-the-scenes things. Maybe we can chat about it after. Okay. But – I saw a shooting guard commit. I was like, what What the hell? I thought I was, you've been telling me I'm your guy for the past four years. And now all of a sudden you commit a shooting guard without even talking to me about it. 
And they're like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Like, you're still going to, you know, have a better opportunity and be able to go and play and everything. I was like, nah. Even though I might be a high school, I might be a kid, but I understand where disrespect is put. So right. I saw that and I kind, of, I kind of opened up my recruiting. I went to my uh, legendary head basketball coach at Modern Day High School, Coach McKnight. I was like, hey, I know I still got a few offers laying around. Let me see where else I can look at. And this was like summer of my junior year where I wasn't really responding to a lot of people because I was like, I'm going to Stanford. And then he, he put my name back out there. And then each of those schools all had like a different reason for why I wanted to go there. So San Diego State, they were kind of like Stanford at the same time where they were recruiting me. Uh, Fisher was recruiting me since I was in middle school and I always loved it. It's close to home, amazing basketball program. And so they were, they were my number two, to be honest. Uh, Washington like State. Close. That was like uh-huh. you were coming in right on the tail end of Kawhi, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so like a couple years after or something a like that. Years after. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Washington State was because they were they were saying they were going to put me on the Clay Thompson plan. I was like, that okay. sounds kind of nice. I like that. They said thirty shots as a freshman. That could be cool. And then Cal, they they were always uh, Quanzo Martin was there at that time. Really enjoyed their staff really great academic school as well in California, Pac-12. So I was like, I'll be able to see my family coming down and everything, even though it's kind of far, but get a play down south and see him. And then Texas A&M is actually where my dad went. And so, and they were just, and I forgot who they got as their head coach at that time, but they had an amazing recruiting class as well. So I could definitely see myself gelling with them. But man, I took that official visit to Notre Dame and then kind of like the book wrote itself when I went there the first time, just getting that overall feeling that you get when you walk into the campus. I just went to campus this past weekend, actually for the first time since I graduated. And it was just such a special place, man. I even teared up when I went back. I was like, this place, because when I went back too, it's like super emotional for the fact that that's a place where, first of all, gave five, five of my years maturing, becoming a human or becoming a man at this university and trusting them with that. But then that was also the place where at the same time, I lost my mother during that process. So that was kind of like when I went back there, I get that feeling of nostalgia when it comes to thinking about her, thinking about my time there and how she always pushed me to work and go there and make sure that I just do what's best for me, just showing how selfless of a person she is. And so it just kind of all cut up to me when I went back. And it's crazy to say, but I almost had that feeling when I stepped onto the campus my first time for the Michigan uh, Notre Dame football game for my recruiting visit. Wow, you were at that game. Yeah, that 30 and I was smacking. Oh, man, mm. I can't wait to get to get That was a smackdown that game. <laughs> that was a great podcast. game. We're talking to Rex Fluger, right here, former Notre Dame shooting guard. We're brought to you by Nora Whiskey at norawhiskey.com, that premium American whiskey, norawhiskey.com. Okay, let's talk about it. Your favorite game that you attended. Was it that game on your trip, the Michigan-Notre Dame game, or was there another one where you're like, yo, I'll never forget being at that game? That's a tough question because that is up there, but it's like I, I was so spoiled as a football fan to be there during the times I was, and even still now, I feel like every season that we had, we had over 10 wins. And so right. we were consistently good, almost expecting to win every game. But I got to say, like one of my favorite times is when I brought my brother, Devin Fluger, who was a – he went to USC and I brought him to the USC game. And for basketball, we sit right at right at the right behind the end zone, right next to the yeah. tunnel when they run out. We're right over here to the right. 
yeah. and I brought him down with me. And I, I think it might have been my sophomore year, and I think we just smacked him, just just crushed him. And I just love looking at his face, just watching every time we scored a touchdown. And the, I, I have a lot of a lot of people probably hate me for saying this, but I do have a lot of love for USC. They were my first college basketball offer. Uh, my brother went there. I used to visit him all the time there. I really enjoyed the school. So, what like, but the satisfaction that from a brother rival rivalry, just watching him, just like he was just so happy to be there and witness the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But just watching his Trojans just get crushed, I probably say it's my favorite game. Well, we share the same sentiment. I have to tell LL Nation all the time to take it easy on me, Rex, because my <laughs> hard-earned money goes to USC for tuition. So, mm, mm, you got to like him. <laughs> you have to like but him. I still refuse to wear any apparel. Mm-mm, I refuse. I don't do that. Yeah. I refuse. My no. daughter has tried to talk mm-hmm. me into it. She's purchased things and brought it home for the holidays. And I'm like, nope, I will mm-hmm. never do it. Never. Mm-mm. Now, am I a bad guy? Maybe as a, Hall- maybe as a Halloween costume, though, because I'm trying to do something funny. But That's a good one. That's a good one. I might do that. I might do that. Let, you, let me know if I'm a bad dad, Rex. Because this year, this year, I, I let her have it. I let her have it. Now, she, you know, I purchased tickets for her. She has great mm-hmm. seats, by the way, in the student section. Great seats. Mm-hmm. She's like row five. Great seats. And it's so funny because they want to roll early and she's like talking trash, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm coming home. We're going to South Bend for the game. And I was like, sweetie, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to do that yet. You're, you guys are not ready. And they played Stanford at home, I think in week four. She texts me during the warmups and says, these Stanford guys are so big. And I'm like, yeah. And by the end of the game, I think Stanford ran for like 360 yards on the ground. I think their running backs are still running through the Coliseum somewhere. (laughs) And she was like, oh, they weren't good. I said, yeah, it's going to get worse. And, of course, their season spiraled out of control. So Mm -hmm. this year I'm definitely coming out there the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Oh, we're gonna have to link up for that too. Let's do it. We'll throw a little note. We'll throw a little Notre Dame tailgate in the middle of everything too. Let them know. (laughs) In my mind, we're gonna have the college football playoff on the line. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley's gonna make it a big deal, and we're gonna smack him again. You know, I'll get Lincoln. Just another day in the office. Yeah, just the normal, normal way we do. But I, I I give them credit. Big move by Lincoln Riley. Mm Great move, and um, in two years they might actually be a rival again. I'll give them two years. I agree with that. Let Lincoln be able to do his recruiting. You know, kind yeah. of like that Andy Enfield kind of game plan, where yeah. Andy's first couple of years weren't the best, but now USC's basketball program's taken off, and I think he just signed an extension through twenty seven, twenty eight now. So, yeah, congratulations yeah. to him. He's doing a great job at that program. I got just got that extension. Um, my daughter's actually in Vegas for the tournament this weekend. Ooh, that's awesome. And uh, I think Boogie is like, you know, she knows a couple of players. She has this crush on Peterson. Oh, my God. This I don't know USC basketball. That I was going to say, all I know is I think yeah. his name's Harry. 
No, I should know his name. It's Harrison Horney, is it, or something like that? Yeah. He went. To, yeah. He went to Mar today. Did he? Yeah, he went to my high school. Uh, so like, why is it? Let's. Can we jump over the? What is it about USC football and modern day football? It's almost like a direct pipeline. Like kids from modern day don't look anywhere else. It's just like I'm from the time they walk through the doors of modern day, it's made up in their minds that they're going to play at USC. Uh, I got to be honest, modern day is I, the way that the school's kind of structured, it almost is very similar to USC okay. in the sense. Okay. And then it's just such an easy commute when it comes to that. So for recruiting purposes, super easy to get down there and get there. But, you know, to go play devil's advocate, what about Bryce Young? What about Equinemia St. Brown? Those two guys, Notre Dame, Alabama. And I think Notre Dame guys. Bryce was a commit to USC. He was. He was. He was. He was. was. But you're right. We did get EQ. We couldn't mm-hmm. get his little brother, though. We couldn't get his little brother, but we could get him too. Yeah, I still think that's great. Obviously, if we got him on, that would have been amazing, too. But EQ came into the same class as mine. He's a good friend of mine, man. Hopefully, that he can get some ball, some more balls under him this year. So, I was just talking before you came on and just talking about Notre Dame athletics. At this point, I don't know if the baseball team, basketball team, and football team have been as aligned as they are as far as successful seasons. Notre Dame literally was two innings away from going to the College World Series. And they gave the series away to Mississippi State. Notre Dame, two college football playoffs. You can book 10 wins every year, even though Brian Kelly's gone. Look for Marcus Freeman to continue the trend. They already had the number one recruiting class for the cycle of 2023. And then, look, I'll be honest. Like I said, I used to hear certain things during timeouts, pregame and postgame, producing Notre Dame basketball games. A lot of people were throwing dirt on your head coach a couple of years ago. Like a lot of people. And they were thinking, like, Mike Bray was done. What an incredible job he's done reestablishing this program and getting it back to the NCAA tournament. And he has a McDonald's All-American coming in next year as well. So just talk about the job that your head coach has done. And did you get a chance to talk to the team and him when you went back this past weekend? Yeah, Mike Bray is, I got to call him coach, but I got to make sure I always show that respect. Any former coach always deserves the title coach, but Coach yeah. Bray, man, he's one. He's a very special person. He's an unbelievable coach, and when people are throwing, this kind of goes back to the idea that I was talking about myself when I'm playing injured. He's a, he's a head coach. It's not like he's playing out there, but he's also yeah. trying to manage a team full of injured players. And then he's also trying to figure out what's the next step. Does he make, need to make these big changes? He knows he has these expectations on him. So when people throw dirt on his name, they're not really taking the time to look at it from his perspective and seeing what the cards he was dealt. Right. And so now that he has a fully healthy team, he has that team that he's always kind of tried to line up throughout his tenure at Notre Dame, but just get them in early, get, get these seniors right, get their mentals correct, put them in certain games where it's going to prepare for prepare them for when they get into these crucial games when it's when they're seniors to be able to lead the freshmen and now that he's a full healthy team and then shout out to Blake Wesley and Paul Atkinson they're both playing amazing both first year guys in Notre Dame 
Paul being a fifth year senior and then Blake obviously being a freshman and potential lottery pick. But it's like that core group of guys too that is truly the glue to everything, which is like Nate Lashesky, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, and even the voices coming off the bench, man. It's the team is a well-oiled machine right now. I was so impressed when I was out there. And it, it just made me so happy to see the team in this position, given all the crap that we've gone through in the past few years, you know, people riding us off, people throwing that dirt on our face, and then being able to come out there and just smack people by 20 this year has been something awesome to watch. Man, absolutely. But I do have to share some blame with you because I blame Malik. I blame Amir Carlisle and every football player that claimed they used to shoot around with Jaden Ivey when he was a kid. And I'm like, how in the world did you have this kid shooting buckets at Notre Dame as a kid and let him go to Purdue? How, how in the world well, does that happen? How in the world does that happen? Well, I think he just wanted to write a different story, you know, because yeah. a lot yeah. of people try to put him in the same bucket as Demetrius Jackson because they're close friends. You know, Demetrius yeah. is one of my teammates when I was a freshman who I love. I got to see him this past week or two. Shout out to Demetrius. Uh, so when he was coming up and then obviously having his mom being an assistant bas basketball coach for Notre Dame as well at the time, right. who's now the head coach, she like he was he was put into kind of that perspective is this is what you have to do. Mm. And I remember watching this kid when I was there as a freshman. He would be shooting in our pit, which is just his little gym that we have part of our basketball facility. And he would be in there in all hours of the night because I used to go in there late at night too. And I would see him then just putting in his work, keeping his head down, nobody there, listening to the music, and then all he's doing is hooping. And I remember watching it, and I was like, this kid's going to be special. But you never know, obviously. You can just say certain things at a time. But right. now he's proving. He's out there at Purdue. Now he, I think he's a – is he a Naismith finalist? Yeah. He's getting all these All-American accolades as a sophomore. And I, I remember looking at him when I was a freshman. I was like, that kid's going to be special. And it's it's amazing to me to see him doing it, too. And even though he's five seven four and he didn't go to Notre Dame, I still give him all the love in the world and wish him the best. Yeah, I, Malik always says we made him, even though he's <laughs> yeah, exactly we made him. So <laughs> I guess that is something to feel good about. That is something to feel good about. Notre Dame, we, I, I can I can agree with that statement. We did we held that. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. It would have been great to have him and Blake Wesley on the same squad. Would have been that would have been dangerous. Oh. Dangerous. Do you think Blake? Of, I just I, I'm being selfish because I know the way the NBA looks at talent and they project. I know he will be a lottery pick more than likely. But the selfish part of me just wants to say, kid, I, I promise you, it's not going anywhere. Like you could be a top ten pick next year. Just come back, mm -hmm. and you'll be so much better for the experience. You'll be so much mm -hmm. better. For it. No, I, I agree in a lot of the parts of that statement. You know, I was talking to him. First of all, he has an amazing family. So I know he's in good hands. I was talking to his parents this past weekend. Unbelievable people. Shout out to them. But exactly right. It's like he has those two options. But I think, well, now that in college basketball, you have the ability to go and test the waters at least. Right. Get that right. kind of somewhat pro experience to be able to go out there and see, hey, what are these NBA scouts saying about me? What do I need to work on? Am I ready? Am I able to do this? And I fully, like, as much as I want him to stay and help us, hope, I think, we're gonna, I, I, man, I want us to win the national championship this year, but if he comes back, be special. Yeah. But 
I want him to go out there. I want him to test the waters. I want him to see if it's the best, best and right move for him. But in the end of the day, I think he has so many good people in his corner that he'll end up making the right decision. So I'm not worried about that. Yes, so I think he he would gain some advantage coming back for another year and be able to improve himself, get a little bit stronger, work on a little. I, he doesn't have many flaws in his game. Man. He's an unbelievable yeah. defender, unbelievable offensive threat. When I was watching this past week and his vision was just amazing, you know, I was super impressed by that. He was throwing these tight passes, making the right plays. So he's got he's got the IQ. He's got the skills. But now he just needs to figure out whether or not it's the right decision for him. So moving into it, yes, I would love for him to come back. But I still think, obviously, with his parents' help, whether or not he wants to go test the waters, anything that's just valuable feedback and more confidence and should drive him even more to do well. And then even the other aspect we haven't talked about is the NIL. You can still find ways to get yourself paid in different avenues. doesn't have to be that NBA salary contract right now, but you can still get some certain income coming in while being at Notre Dame, while developing yourself and furthering your education. And plus, the number one part of that I would say is the most beneficial part about Notre Dame, besides the love that you get from them, is the networking. You spend one more year there, man, everybody on that campus knows you. Everybody. Remember those people's names, Blake. If you're, I don't know if you're listening to this, but meet those people, shake those hands, keep those business cards, stay in contact with those, because that's going to help further your progression as a person later in life as well. And he's a great kid, so I have no doubt in my mind he'll be doing that. But I just always like throwing my two cents here and there. Man, how in the world? Or oh, tell me the experience. You, you mentioned EYBL earlier in the Peach Jam. A lot of people might not know what that is. If you love high school basketball, go to a Peach Jam. That's that's all mm-hmm. I can tell you is go. I've covered it multiple times. The Compton Magic. How did that how how did that happen? A kid from modern day. How did you end up playing for the Compton Magic? Well, playing with Compton Magic, I used to do a bunch of these little kind of like all-star camps and showcase games and all of that. And I remember my guy, I hope he's doing well. I haven't talked to him in a while. His name's Johnny Hernandez. He was kind of putting together a team for Atope, who runs Compton Magic. Shout out to Atope. Love my guy forever. But he just kind of found us in all these showcase games and says, he'd be a really good part. He'd be a really good part. He'll be a really good part. And then we just all kind of meshed together. And I remember our team, I think it was like top five in the country for two years straight. Yeah. And But that was that isn't who I went to Peace Jam with, actually. I went because we were Adidas at that time. I went okay. with Oakland Soldiers. Oh, yeah. Now that, oh, they always had a squad. Yeah. And then the reason I made that transition was kind of a business move for myself because being in, uh, for playing for a Adidas program, I wasn't going to be able to make it to all these Nike camps, like the LeBron camp, the KD camp, and all of that. So I was like, in my mind, I want to be at those camps. And the best way to position myself to being in those camps is if I play for a Nike affiliate team. And then Oakland Soldiers came knocking on the door, and then I saw that opportunity. And I have all the love in the world for Compton Magic. I still consider them family to me. But I just made a kind of a business executive move and said this would be the best thing for me to put myself out there have these experiences get in front of all these coaches in front of these players and kind of put myself out there so that's why i ended up going to oakland soldiers and be able to play in peach. but back to your point about peach jam man you you've never seen like, if you are a basketball junkie you love college basketball you want to see all your favorite college basketball coaches go to peach jam i remember i had calipari i had Shesky, we had roy williams we had Bill Self, all at one game. 
when we're playing against people. All just sitting, and it's such a tight venue too. All the coaches are lined up against the wall, right next to the court. When you're diving for the ball, you're like diving into Coach King. Like, oh my bad, bro. Yeah. Throw that offer. But then you just everybody's just out there trying to do their best, and it's just the best competition. I don't know. I, I need to get back into high school basketball a little bit more because I'm interested in it to see how they're progressing and what's going on with it. Because I know, it's now, special. you know, you you know, at some point, you're either going to be the head of an EYBL team and an organization or you're going to be connected to the game mm-hmm. at the high school level. It's, it's, it's all over you. It's all, mm-hmm. You have so much to give back, man. You have so much to give back. And I tell people all the time, you know, they say like, I grew up on LaFonso Ellis and David Rivers and those guys, right? My like, guys. That's, I love yeah. those, those are my guys growing up as a kid. But then I tell people all the time, from the new era, my favorite two players were you and Jordan Cornette. Like, those, like those are my guys. Way too. Like, yo, that. I love Bonzi. I love Matt, Jerry, like all the guys that would score. But I'm like, I played basketball in the high school level, and I understood I was a glue guy. Mm-hmm. I was a glue guy. I ran the point, and I did everything – that needed to be done. All the dirty stuff that you don't see all the time coming through as far as stats, but it leads to wins. So mm-hmm. anytime I watch a basketball game, anytime I watch high school kids, I'm always drawn to that kid. You know what I mean? I'm not drawn to the kid that's putting up 35 and everybody knows he's the best player on the court. I'm watching this kid that nobody else is paying attention to that has rook that has knee burns because he's been flying across the floor, sliding across the floor. He has two or three blocks. He saved the ball and created a fast break for his team a couple of times. Like, those are the special things that I watched. And that's why I was drawing a guy like you. Even though I was listening to it, being painted via radio, I fell in love with Rex Fluger and his game. You know? I appreciate so you, you definitely have so much to give because you know how to play the game. And that's what I want for the younger generation. I want them to know how to play the game. It's easy to watch Steph Curry and want to pull up from 35, but learn how to play the game. And I promise you, you can always get to that. Just learn the game. Learn the game. I I completely – first of all, thank you so much for that. That means a lot. LaFonso developed a relationship with at my time at Notre Dame and then Jordan Cornette's a close friend of mine as well now. But when you talk about the dirty work too, it's like, it's not only the physical pain that you go through, but it's also the mental, especially being at the higher level where maybe you're not dropping 20 and nine like these other guys, or you're not getting all the limelight that everyone thinks you should be getting because you came out as a highly touted group. But I remember, but the throw, I just want to go back to this one story about how I actually began playing in the game. Because I wasn't playing in the beginning as a freshman, but coming out of modern day, I've always started on every team I've ever been in or been on, regardless of what team it was. Like for some reason I was always on a team and I believe it was because of my competitive fight and the will to win. Right. I think I was a pretty good player as well, but I think that's what kind of separated me from other people. But I remember my freshman year, we lost in the, uh, Orlando tournament, the Old Spice Classic, and we lost to Monmouth. 
And I didn't play another minute in that game. Like, didn't play in that. Next game, we played against Iowa. Didn't play a minute in that. Lost that, too. After that, I was so flustered. And I bet a lot of college kids can feel the same pain where it's like when you're not playing, even as a hard-headed freshman, you think, man, I want to transfer. I want to get out of here. And I, and I talked to different, like, talked to my family. I talked to some close friends. I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. I, I should be out there playing. We're losing, and I'm sitting on the bench. This is not the look that I want. But then I got some great advice for some people. They said, hey, you can't run away from it. This is your decision. You do what you can. And if you can't get through that after actually genuinely trying, then we can kind of look at other options. So after that tournament, I went to the Coach Bray's office. I asked for a meeting. And I said, Coach, I wanted to have this meeting to get straight up. If I played in that game, we would have won because that little guy in Monmouth, like, who got 30 on us, he wasn't going to get 30. I can guarantee you that. I would have locked him up. I promise you that. And I had that little conversation with him. I felt good about myself as a man. But realistically, I'm leaving. I'm like, did I just get myself cut from the team? Or <laughs> I just, as a freshman who's not playing, goes to Coach right. Ray after coming off an Elite Eight season. And I'm telling him, hey, you need to play me. And I go in there. And then all of a sudden, coming up, we're in league play. And we're playing at Duke. And I remember out of nowhere, like four or five minutes into the game, Coach at Duke and Coach Bray is like, Rex, get in the game. I'm like, let's let's fucking go. Like it's showtime. I'm ex- like I was. I remember that moment. I was always ready. I was already going to game, and I'm I'm proud to say that that was the only win that we actually well not proud but happy that we got the win that day. And I was able to play like 20, 20 something minutes in that game. Got a few buckets too. And it was just such a special moment for me because obviously winning in Cameron special, but that the fact that I manifested it by putting myself in an uncomfortable situation is what led to this moment and this outcome. So obviously it wasn't all me. Bonzi Colson had 30 and 10, you know. I think Steve yeah. had Steve Asturia had 30. It wasn't all me. But I did play a part. And that's because I put myself in that position to be able to not confront, but talk to my coach, give him my two cents, tell him this is what could happen. He listened to me, respected me for that decision, and put me in that game to be able to and be able to get that outcome. So it's like if there's any anyone out here listening to, if you think you're better at something or you believe that you deserve better, man, and you have the, the will, the right, and then also the history to prove it, man, go out there and do it, man. Say what you feel, because the only only person holding back holding you back is yourself. Absolutely. With all of that being said. I don't like the term when people say, you know, I refer to myself as a glue guy, but I didn't particularly like the, the term because I felt like I was a pretty darn good basketball player. Exactly. And I said that to lead to this fourth on the all time Notre Dame scoring list. Number one, all time leader in assists. You're not a glue guy, my man. You were a darn good basketball player at the University of Notre Dame. Just when you think about that and you hear those things, those accolades, and you look back on everything you had to go through physically and mentally, do you take a step back and say, damn, what comes after that? I think when I think about certain accolades, I would say the, the the one that matters the most to me in everything is that I, I'm pretty sure this is true, but I think I have the record for all times game played for Notre Dame. 
which is by far my favorite and bringing up your previous point about how I played through these injuries, how I played for my team and all of that. And to be able to have that kind of stable to me, because regardless if my winning percentage wasn't the best during my career in there, the fact that I was able to put myself out there and give, give it my all every single game, regardless of how my body was feeling and be able to say that I put on that Jersey during game time more than anyone else. man, it just hits me different in certain places where it's like, I don't care if no one knows that. I don't care if everyone knows that because in my mind, that's the only thing that matters is that I know that I did that and there's, there's the games to prove it. Here's the question I've been waiting to get to. Have you ever physically heard the Jack Nolan got it on the court? Have you ever heard it, as it while you were playing? Maybe uh, on the road? I'm trying to think of it. I've, I've made him do it for me before because I actually had, when I tore my ACL my senior season, I was co-hosting the Mike Bray radio show in South Bend with him and Coach Bray. Okay. And I remember I mean, Jack and I developed a great relationship. Still much love for him. Hope, hopefully he's enjoying retirement too much. I bet he's just, he's probably out there somewhere playing golf and probably makes a two-foot putt and yells, got it, just for old time's sake. He actually, I hope he, does that. he actually did a couple of games this year. Did he really? Oh, he must yeah. have. He, yeah, he, yeah, he misses it too much, man. He can't, he can't stay away. Come on. We know Jack, but I, I to answer your question, I don't think I actually ever heard him during a game say that. Mm-hmm. But the amount of times I've watched highlights, replays of games that we've been in, and just hearing that iconic, got it, and then it's just everybody just goes it's so crazy. Classic. It's, it's so classic. I love that he has it for him, and he doesn't. Uh, he's just an overall, as you know, such an amazing human being as well. Hopefully, he's doing well, and I wish I was able to get back for when he was doing one of those games, maybe I'll have to put that on my list or on my calendar for next year. Yeah, I forgot. He, to come back. he subbed in for a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Um, it was maybe a couple. I know he definitely did radio for the Boston College game at home. And I forget what the previous game before that was. But he did the radio call. Uh, I think someone was sick and wasn't able to go. And it's always great to have a legend like that right down the road to call in like, mm-hmm. hey, your mind calling a game, and I'm sure he was much obliged to do it. I, I just he asked, probably does that in his house. Yeah, I was. I, was I, just, I always wondered, like, I wonder if like the guys were like getting ready to check in, and they were standing at the scorers table, and somebody hit a three. Like, I wonder if they ever got a chance to like hear it, like without like hearing it like on a replay, that they actually hear him do it while they were standing waiting there to go into the game. Or on the road where you got a crowd quiet and maybe you heard it on the court, but I knew you would never hear it at home because everybody was going crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever happened. I'm trying to think. I don't think so because I just remember when I, when I get on that court and that first, when the ball's thrown up on the tip ball, man, I was, I was so laser focused at every moment, whether it's in the game, doing whatever job I needed to do in the game, or if I'm on the bench and I'm trying to encourage people or I'm cheering from the bench. Or even when I watched it for the scores table, I remember I'd sit down. I would kind of like trying to get a comfy little stretchy spot. And then I would just be hyper-focused on the game and looking at the players and like the yeah. scouting reports. And I would just be thinking, I was just like, okay, this guy's doing really well going to the left right now. I'm take that away. I'm forcing going back. Right. He's uncomfortable, but then he wants to pull up. So then that's when I would like, so when it comes to listening for those outside factors, I really just kind of blacked it out. The only time I really heard fan interactions is when they were saying, 
mean stuff to me <laughs> because they would they would look look me in the eyes like into my soul. Yeah, and I remember, I remember at the UCLA game. I think I hit a three like at the, at the end of the game. I remember turning the crowd. We about to obviously lost, but I remember looking at the crowd and one of these guys, this courtside, looks at me, has a drink in his hand. Am I allowed to say bad words on this podcast or no? Yeah, of course. Okay, guys, guys on the courtside, he has a beer in his hand. He looks at me, he's just like, fuck you, Fluger. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know I'm like a Cali kid, right? You know, right, like, right. I'm one of you. <laughs> but I remember hearing that, but then I've heard so many other things that are just, they're, they're all they're all funny, you know. I know people get in the heat of the games and whatnot, what's going on yeah. in there, but. I never really heard everything else, but I always heard when somebody really felt it in their soul that they needed yeah. to tell me something that was wrong about me. I, so I'll be like, huh. But that would just be motivation, though. What's so I never looked at as in, huh? What's the one road venue that you always will remember, whether it's in the ACC or just like maybe just that yeah. game at UCLA? Oh, gosh. It has to be Duke. Just because... I felt like I had a relationship with the crazies. <laughs> I can see, I can see that. It was weird. Like they didn't dislike me, right? It, it was like a weird thought. Like before games, when we would do our stretching, they would all be filled up in the in the stands before the game when we we're doing our stretches. They would always follow me. They would always when I would do my thing, they would just like yeah. be staring at me, just copying me what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. I remember this one time. Uh, this. I think this, I don't know how publicized this story is, but this one of the girls in the stands actually gave me her number before the game. Are you serious? Uh, dude, yeah. And then I didn't think anybody saw or remembered that fact. And then on, I think my senior year when I was playing there, they had like, they had these sheets that these crazies have for like one player where like, we're going to go after that person today. Yeah. And, I, and I, like, I forgot about it by then. But my, my dad and brother went to the game and they got one of those sheets. And on the sheets, it actually told the story about her giving me the phone number. And I'm like, these these crazies are really crazy. Like, how do you remember this? This was like two years ago. I don't know when this happened, but they are such a tight knit group of fans. And then it's just it's just ridiculous. Like I've had I have a few other stories about them, but I won't get into it. But we just had this weird relationship. So that was kind of one of the places that I I enjoyed, but also kind of feared playing out of that makes sense. <laughs> Yo, we talked about it Monday. We talked about it on Monday's show. For some weird reason, I got so much joy watching North Carolina spoil everything on Saturday. I got so don't much get, joy out of that. Don't get, don't I, get me started. I know that's <laughs> probably petty, but I got so oh, I wanted to give Hubert Davis. We're all petty. We're all petty. I loved it. I think everyone that was watching it kind of loved it. Like, obviously, hey, Coach K, one of the best coaches of all time. Yeah. You know, he can hang his hat on so many different things for all the successes that he's had from his national championships to his gold medals. But, man, you got to – come on, Coach It's pretty funny, you know. <laughs> it was. Absolutely. It's like ESPN had to cancel all post-game production. Oh. All of the one shining moment type things that they were going to play for Coach K. Coach K comes out, rips his players, says it's unacceptable. It's supposed to be a nice speech. And all of a sudden, shut everybody, up. Yes. Right. He tells, no, shut up. Be quiet. <laughs> right. Everything's like, out of whack. Oh, this is not. 
You know he was glaring down those rats. He, he oh, was looking man. at me like, He's like, are you are you serious right now? You didn't you're not helping us right now? <laughs> I would have loved to be a college kid in Chapel Hill that night. Oh, the party, they must the party have, was probably incredible. Must have had a blast that night. Oh, oh man. So we got a question yeah. for you, a couple of questions from the fans. Truman Dumel says, is there a Notre Dame football player who could have played in the NBA and a Notre Dame basketball player? Who could have played in the NFL? Yes. Wow. But to be more specific, a uh, buddy of mine, Chase Claypool, was a hell of a basketball player. And I believe that if he gave the time and effort to play in the game, I think he could have done, made some strides playing in the NBA. Currently wide receiver for the Steelers, so not too bad of a path, you know. But I could see him if he put in the work, he would have had the opportunity to do so. And hey, even Big Q, man, if he if he was like a few inches taller, he could have been a jokic. Because I don't know if you've ever seen his basketball film before, but he moves very well. And if there's one person I don't want to get hit by a screen by, it's Quentin Nelson. It's Quentin Nelson. So, but for I was gonna say for basketball to go to football, uh, I got to put in Demetrius Jackson. Because that is one of the most athletic, you know, strongest human beings I think I've ever seen. Yeah. He's six foot. He looks like he's six foot Barry Sanders almost. And I feel like he could have done amazing things. But then I'm going to be a little selfish too because I feel like I could have had an opportunity as well. Okay. Because even though I stopped playing football when I got to high school because I had to make a decision because that's just how California schools are nowadays, especially at the big schools, they try to make you choose. But I feel like football was my original passion. I'm actually going to go play in the seven-on-seven thing this Saturday as a wide receiver. Okay. Is that the position you would have wanted to play? I was quarterback for a while, but then I – and I enjoyed it. But then I realized I was like, I feel like I'm a wide receiver. I feel like if you throw that ball up there, I'm going to go get it. Just have that ball sticks in my hands. So I really enjoyed playing wide receiver for a lot of different reasons, but – it's something about football, man. I know I'm a basketball player, but I still have a lot of my heart in football. I watch it all the time, college football, NFL, all of that, man. It's one of the best games ever created. And sometimes you got it sometimes you think what if? But then I just cancel those thoughts out as well because I'm like, I made a great decision. Everything's working out. Obviously, there's ups and downs and regardless of what decisions you make, but you made that decision, you stuck with it, be proud of that fact and don't try to dwell on the negatives. Man, look, Irish Players Club has become a topic of discussion because a lot of Notre Dame fans were wondering about NIL and how it was going to play out at a place like Notre Dame. And Jack Swarbrick has been very transparent in saying, Notre Dame, we're going to let this play out and see how everything goes before we really react and do anything. And then the Notre Dame football team, along with Mikasaw, former Notre Dame player, as a co-founder and creator, defined the Irish Players Club. Uh, I bought two NFTs. I support it. Just Those like are my Sam. guys. Yeah, and I'm going to buy some more. Do you think eventually the basketball program can be brought into that, what they've established with the football team? I definitely think so, especially if the longevity of NFTs are, work, are going to keep progressing in the way that they are. 
I think it's about building a brand and building a brand. That's what's going to be important too, especially for a lot of these universities is starting to understand that, yeah, you're a college basketball team. Yeah, these kids are going to classes, but these kids are businesses now. They have the opportunity to put themselves in positions to make money for themselves that maybe professional basketball isn't the next step, but then they can start understanding the process of how to make money. What do you need to do day-to-day type of stuff? And I hope that we're getting the correct counseling at Notre Dame to help lead these people. Shout out to Brandon Wimbush, who you're having tomorrow on. He's doing great things in that space. And it's it's so important because when I think about it, because now I'm working as an acquisitions analyst for a real estate investment firm. And so I'm starting to understand all the intricacies of the corporate life and how to maneuver through certain things, the day-to-day efforts that you have to put in. But as a college kid, you're not really exposed to that. The work ethic is there, though. But how do you change that mindset into, okay, how do I start to actually monetize what I'm doing? And what are the different avenues? What are the different paths? And it's great. Well, it's amazing. And it helps a lot if you have somebody to help guide you through that process, tell you no on certain decisions. Because as a high school and college basketball player, most of your life, if you're one of the top players in the country growing up, you're not getting no said to you a lot. Yeah, And it's important for people to tell you, like, hey, maybe I want to go out and try this venture. And then you have somebody say, no, that's wrong. You know why? X, Y, Z. Doesn't make sense. You're not going to make that much money. You're going to be wasting your time. You're going to be doing other efforts. And that's what we need to have in this space when it comes to that. So I'm not just saying this for just Notre Dame, but I think all colleges should have this in place where they're having the counseling group. That's what Mogul, I think, is trying to do. But it's important for that. But Definitely, I think basketball, especially if we're starting to elevate our game this way, we're starting to get these high-end recruits. We're getting back into that kind of stance where people talk about us every year being an NCAA tournament, and we can definitely join that club. Yeah, we got another question from one of our listeners. Tay Washburn said, how hard was it to play basketball with fo- football in your heart at Notre Dame? That's a darn that's good a, question. That's a deep question. I like it. Yeah. Um, it's because when I was younger, one of my football coaches, I always remember this. He, he, when I quit football, he was my coach, Kevin Murphy. He coached me from second grade to eighth grade. I remember him saying, mm-hmm. he's like, Rex, please don't, don't quit football, man. I've always dreamed of watching you catching touchdowns at Notre Dame and jumping over the wall to the fans and just celebrating with them. I've always imagined that. I'm like, I'm sorry, coach, but I'm going with basketball. And then to go play basketball at Notre Dame instead of football. And I remember going up to him after I committed, I was like, hey coach, I know I'm not playing football at Notre Dame, but does basketball count? <laughs> and uh, watching those guys out there and developing a lot of relationships with the football players, yeah. being close with them, it was more so that, yeah, I wish I was out there and playing, uh, just because it's in my heart and I feel like I could be out there. I like I know I can be out there and that type of thing. But watching them, watching them have their success, doing amazing things, representing the university super well, that it wasn't hard at all, to be honest. Did I have dreams about maybe thinking about, hey, maybe I could be a dual sport athlete? Yes. But then I understood that I got to make sure I have my position on the basketball team. But, you know, you know, but I don't want to, yes, football's in the past, all of that and everything, but now I find different ways to enjoy it by watching it, analyzing it, talking talking about it, and hanging out with really cool people to understand, understand the game the same way. Now, I'm going to give an assignment to LL Nation. I think your guy, I think our guy Malik is running. 
because he, he he didn't want me to ask this question. You know, Malik and all of the former football players that were there at the same time you were there, they only have one thing they talk trash about till this day, Rex. And that's know. basketball. All of, them, all of oh. them swear they were the best player on the football team. All of them. <laughs> all of them. They're all saying that. And I'll say this. But there has been one name that has been universal from every player that shocks me, that they all say, yeah, that dude, he was good. And it was Mike McGlinchey. They all Ooh. say Big Mike. McGlinchey was? I didn't know McGlinchey had an offer to play basketball at BC. Damn. He had a D1 He's already impressive, but that's pretty sweet. He had an offer from BC and Penn State. To play basketball. Yeah, Penn State? Yeah. 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 He's a badass, he's, man. He's doing great things in the league right sure. now, too, though. They was like, they were like, dude, imagine a dude 6'8, 290, that can body you, post you up, yeah. shoot, pass, drip. He could do everything. And it was nothing you could do with him. Like you couldn't push him, you couldn't do anything. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how I would guard him. I was just like, hopefully trip him or pull the chair or something. But if he if he wants to back you down, he's going to back you down. Now, Malik and the guys claim that they took on the basketball team a couple of times and almost beat you guys. Now, I don't know if you were part of these games, but that's the claim that's been put out there. Mm, I, don't, I don't think – I think that might have been before I got there. Okay. But the thing that basketball players, we like to do, as you know, is that we'll like to, you know, have some fun in the beginning of the game. You know, right. we know right. we obviously have the higher competitive advantage. And then everyone's playing their hearts out against, you know, whatever it's, you feel, I'm not even going to put that metaphor on there. I was going to say it's like JV playing varsity, but it's not that because they're freaking amazing athletes. But it, there, there's a certain part where basketball players are like, Wait a minute, I do this. Yeah, <laughs> and so probably in that game it was probably a great game because football players are probably amazing basketball players as well. But being right. basketball players, you're like, I do this every single day. This yeah. is my job. This is my life. I know how to win in certain scenarios. Yeah. I know that this is an important stop right here because we stop you, we stop your momentum, and then we're able. To, if we get a bucket here, then you're just shattered. Certain things like that, the little things. And so that's probably what happened. I bet the football team put up a, a great battle, but then the basketball team just said, wait. Yeah, they swear. Like, man, you need to ask them. Make sure you ask Rex. He'll tell you. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think Rex is going to share the same story you guys are sharing, man. You guys are making it seem like you had them scared or something. Never scared. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought. I'm like, no, nah, I'm putting my money on Rex and the fellas when it comes to basketball. That's a perfect segue. Have you seen Cal Hamilton in a recent interview? He told Colin Cowherd, as you know, Cal has some hoop skills. He's also a pretty mm -hmm. good golfer, just in case Ooh. you didn't know. Um, I think I will take him on the links, though. I will challenge him. I will actually challenge him. Ooh, we got to get out there sometimes. Oh, no doubt. Cal Hamilton said he thinks he would take Steph Curry in a one-on-one. -on -one. So this goes to he's a great athlete. He's 6'4". Long, probably looks at Steph, thinks he could body him. Would you please let these football players know the precision and skill 
in a man like Steph Curry. Like, I know he makes it look easy, but it's not that easy. He's really, really good at the game. This is this is how I put it in perspective for that. LeBron, KD, Giannis, maybe Kawhi. Now I'll, I'll throw Kawhi in there. Paul George, they can't guard Steph Curry. Right. So right. you think you can guard Steph Curry? <laughs> exactly. And I'll say that for me too. I think I'm an amazing defender. Yeah. And in my mind, hell yeah, I can lock up Steph Curry. But if we're being real, probably not. <laughs> give me give me the Rex Fluger game plan. He's in the locker room getting ready to come out and defend Steph. Well, if straight up, if I'm going to Steph, I'm not I'm doing everything I can to not let him touch the ball. And that's a team effort too, because the way that Steph gets open to be able to get a ball in his hands is by the amount of screens that he runs off of. And so that's a, it's a team effort. Say that I'm guarding staff. Is that I'm gonna need you to have my back. I'll be face guarding him. I'll be doing my best to stay in front and try to take away his vision from even getting the ball. But then eventually I'm gonna get clipped on the ball or clipped on the screen. Then I'm gonna need my defender to clip him too a little bit to allow me some time to get back. Right. But then when it when it comes to one on one basketball, man, you kind of got to pick your poison with him. Whereas like if you want to play close up on him, he's just gonna go by you. But if you stay off, you know he's gonna shoot it. But so the best side of defense is to keep the ball out of his hands as much as possible. But if I was guarding him one on one, he really loves driving left. He can't obviously he's amazing going both ways, but he loves he's so comfortable going left and getting back to his step back jump shot that I would actually force him right, force him to be a little uncomfortable doing a little left left foot step back to the right, if anything, but just focus on his hips. I know that he's six three, too, people forget. He's tall. Like he's still pretty tall. Like he's yeah. at, like normal human being. Tall, maybe not NBA tall, but but then I just try to force him to make a tough shot because he's got kind of a lower release, but it's just so tough. But if I'm able to stay close enough to him, I'm um, comfortable enough that if I can even alter a little bit in his shot where it's not fluid and he has a little twitch, then I know there's a good chance that it'll go off. Lucky Lefty Podcast, we appreciate Rex Fluger for joining us tonight. As always, we're featuring and brought to you by Nora Whiskey on norawhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey. Anorawhiskey.com. As Rex mentioned, Brandon Wimbush will be joining us tomorrow night. And then Friday, we'll have 247 Sports Steve Wilfong on here to talk about Notre Dame recruiting and more. Rex, as I said before, huge fan. We appreciate you joining us on the Lucky Lucky Podcast. Thank you for supporting us as well from the day we started. Uh, I'll actually be and La La Land, I touched down at like nine o'clock Monday. Ooh, I'm working all week, but let me know what you're doing the, at the nighttime. If you ever make your way down to the OC, let me know. Dude, you already know. You already know. Carlsbad is like one of my favorite areas mm-hmm. to, to go to. So I'm always like, I love Oceanside. I love Carlsbad. I love the OC. So I'll definitely get down there and check you out. Hell yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me on, too. Appreciate you, Rex. Man, that's Rex Fluger, former Notre Dame shooting guard right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Great interview, as always. You can go check us out also. Apple Podcasts at A2S Network. That's A2S Network. Great interview. 
let everybody know, subscribe, share more than anything. Hit that like button for us. You know what time it is. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic Petty Junction? Yep, 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 yep. That's right. Petty Junction. Each and every day. Petty story of the day. And it's only one. I didn't sell any more tickets on the Petty Train today. I reserved all tickets on the Petty Train. I'm just going to give you guys a snippet of what took place back in January. Black Panther director Ryan Coogler at Bank of America. Hey, sir. Hey, man. Come here, favor, man. Come this way. Put your hand behind your back. Got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Is there any reason y'all doing this, bro? Give me one second. Hold on. Is that him with the green flag? No, sir. Hey, what's up? 204, one minute, Fellas, fellas, I really shouldn't do that, you know what I mean? What's going on, my man? Trying to throw money on my own. You said what? Yeah, what's This your phone? It is, sir. You have ID on you? I, I got I got everything on me. Where? With the, with, the thing, with the thing I'm trying to explain to you right now, sir, and you're not, you're not listening to me? I'm listening. You come on my right side, I got a badge on, hanging off my, hanging off my head. My work badge. And it'll tell you everything about me. And if you just run my name, you understand why you should take me off these cuffs. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can not do it. This is your name? It's going to be really bad for you. Yes, okay. That's my name. So Ryan Cogler, okay. Cooks with C-O-O-G-L-E-R. Just put it in Google. So that's Ryan Coogler at a Bank of America in Atlanta, Georgia. They're filming the follow-up to the smash hit Black Panther movie from Marvel Universe. Um, I'm going to choose my words when I discuss this because my disappointment about this and shout out, there's video on Tim Z, the rest of the video from the uh, police body cams. I actually think the police handled this situation that they were called to very well. I think they did. Unfortunately, they had to do their jobs. They got the call from the bank that the bank was being robbed or there was an attempt to rob the bank. So, you know, I'm not going in that direction. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm going in that direction. I think if if you guys go to TMZ and watch the full video, I think you will agree with me as well that the cops handled the situation as best as they could. But from his point of view, I understand why he was upset. And this is my issue. Because I've dealt with this before. I've gone into the bank trying to get withdraw a large amount of cash. And my head is on a swivel. Right? Because my bank 
is actually on the south side of Chicago. So my head is on a swivel. And I'm looking to see, like, who's watching me put this cash in my pocket. I hate when the teller asks me, how do you want this? You know, because I try to whisper large bills or, you know, just give me 20s. Because you have to be conscious of who's watching you and who's at the door. These are things that you have to be conscious of. So Ryan Coogler eventually explained that when he goes into banks and he has to pay one of the people that are servicing him, I believe this just happened to be one of his uh, caretakers or nannies for his home. They prefer to be paid in cash. And so he pays them, I think, on a monthly basis. And so he asks for $17,200 out of his account. And to be discreet about it, he wrote on the back of a deposit slip, I would like to withdraw $17,200 from my account. And I would like for you to be discreet about it. Thank you. He writes it on the back of the deposit slip, hands it to the teller. The teller asks for his ID and then asks him to put his debit card. I'm at Bank of America too. I'm at two institutions. I also have an account at Bank of America. They ask for your ID and then they ask for you to put your debit card in the machine to verify, put your pen in to verify who you are. He goes through the process of verifying who he is. At that time, after he verifies, the teller goes to the back and disappears and says, hold on a minute. The next thing he knows, he's standing there waiting and he hears guns being drawn on him in the bank and people saying, take a step away from the counter, sir. So imagine immediately like the horror you see, he didn't, his phones were up there on the counter. He doesn't reach for his phones. He doesn't want to make a false move. It's like, yo, put your hands behind your back. And it's, it's just a frustrating situation. I do think the teller handled the situation a little. She was a little extra. And I have to put the bank on the petty track. You got to go on the petty track. I'm sorry. No one writes out a note saying I would like to withdraw money from my account. That's bank robbers. That's not how they write out notes. Now, I understand. Maybe she was being cautious. But if you felt that way, why ask him to identify himself the normal way every Bank of America customer verifies their identification, which is give me your ID. Put your card in, verify your pin. You know, and, and thank God the situation wasn't a dire situation where a tragedy happened. But it's just unfortunate. And once again, I just want to put <laughs> those people that worked in the bank. And if you look at the beginning of the video, you see uh, someone from the bank coming around the corner, pointing him out to the police. So obviously they weren't in the back trying to help him. They were trying to find a way to get outside, to bring the police in quietly and show them that's the guy that we think is trying to rob the bank.
the guy that directs Black Panther from Marvel Universe. He's trying to rob the bank. And he specifically asked for $17,200 for a specific amount when he tried to rob the bank. It's crazy. It's crazy. So they go on, they go on the petty train. So thank you guys so much for supporting us. We'll be back tomorrow, tomorrow night, our regular time, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Former Notre Dame quarterback, Brandon Woodenbush, and everything he did an event with Tim Brown and uh, everything he's doing with Mogul. It's fantastic. The way he's giving back, the way he's mentoring young men. We greatly appreciate him joining us tomorrow, and we look forward to having another great interview. We spin it different right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Special thanks to our guy Rex Fluger for jumping on with us tonight, man, talking indie football, his experience, how he ended up at Notre Dame, NIL, possibly helping out the Notre Dame basketball team, and just his overall experience. Man. It's going to be fantastic. So we'll see you tomorrow. Same regular time, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll have Brandon Wimbush, former Notre Dame quarterback, on with us. But my God, the original lucky lefty, Malik Zaire. I'm Sean Davis. Have a great rest of your evening. Spend it different today. We'll see you tomorrow.